When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Splash, splash, splash. Splash Weather Repel Premium Windshield Wash features a three-in-one formula that repels rain, sleet, snow, and bugs while leaving a streak-free shine. It keeps you seeing safely all year long. Pick up some at Walmart today. See safely on the road when you apply a little splash. If you look for it, every day has cause for celebration. Celebrate a friend for their promotion baby wedding life thing. Celebrate yourself for keeping the couch warm. It's no easy feat, especially if it's a big couch. Or maybe you just want to celebrate living in 2023 where you can get beer, wine, and spirits delivered from Drizzly in under 60 minutes without leaving said couch. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com and get your favorite drinks delivered today. Hey out there, rock and rollers, this is the 100th episode of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, and I want to welcome you. This is Mac B, the Wolf, your host, uh, and I will soon be joined, as usual, by my co-host and partner in crime, Gary Action Jackson from the East Coast of the U.S. And I gotta tell you, this is a very proud moment for us, not just getting to 100 shows, which is a bit of a milestone. I mean, we do a weekly show for two years yeah, eventually you're going to get to your 100th show. And obviously not every show makes it that far, some by design, but some by the fact that that's a lot of work. It's a lot of dedication and not everybody is up for it. And I'm just fortunate that I am and that I have a friend and a partner in Jackson uh, who is also up for it, who is always up for talking rock and roll, who wants to have that at least once a week opportunity to get away from work, get away from the wife and kids, get away from the worries, and talk about music that we love and have passion about. And so we're proud to bring you our 100th episode, and we're proud that it's an episode on a really special night for us. And it was the night that we went to see Nick Mason's Saucer Full of Secrets on tour in Indianapolis. And as most of our listeners know, we are part of the Pantheon podcast network, a network of about a hundred different shows, not all about rock music, really there's something out there for everyone, and we do like to give shout outs to our friends that we've ever had on our show, or maybe we've been on theirs, like Paul Stevenson of Vintage Rock Pod and This Day Rocks, like Christy Alexander Hallberg of Rock Is Lit, like Jay Scott from The Hook Rocks, uh, and like Tom and Zeus, the Kiss Kings on the Shout It Out Loud cast. But Pantheon was a sponsor of Nick Mason's Saucer Full of Secrets Tour, giving us the opportunity to not only spread the word about the tour and send our podcast host 
as reps uh, to the shows to kind of spread the word about our podcast, but to interview members of the band. Now, we didn't get to interview Nick Mason, but a few of our cohorts did, uh, like the Imbalance History guys, like Mistress Carrie. Uh, but we were fortunate enough to interview Guy Pratt and Gary Kemp, who we love because they have a killer podcast, The Rock on Tours, which is huge in England. As I've lived there for the last few years, The Rock on Tours are all over the top of the podcast charts, and I definitely recommend you checking them out because it's very conversational. They're talking to people they know, uh, they're talking to people that they have admiration for. Sometimes it's their heroes. And it's always people that they have something in common with. You know, they, they've been through this. They've been working musicians. They've been actors. They've been touring. You know, they, they've worked in music or they've worked in studios. They've worked on the road for a long time. So they don't just ask the normal reporter questions. They can ask questions that really kind of get to the heart of what they're doing. And that was episode 96, so hopefully you will check that out. And, of course, I did get to see these guys in London earlier this year. Saw them at Royal Outer Hall, basically sat on the stage. That was show number 75. It was popular as well, so I encourage you to check that out. And if you really want to hear more Pink Floyd, I do think episode number 69 or so was Momentary Lapse of Reason. And our third show ever was Delicate Sound of Thunder, both the film and the record. Very big to us. And, of course, that featured Guy Pratt. So you might want to go back and check out those Pink Floyd fans. But this was special because Jackson and I went together. And Jackson and I, although we went to some great shows together in college, we had not been to a concert together since 1994. Since the Rolling Stones on the Voodoo Lounge Tour right around Thanksgiving 1994. And it's not because we had a falling out. We just grew apart. We lived in very different areas of the world. And we... Uh, Lost communication for a while because we never were on social media until we did this show. Uh, and finally, we did reconnect because he moved uh, close to where I go uh, in Florida when I'm on vacation in Florida. So we just started to see each other again. And then this show was born out of COVID, born out of I got to connect with some people back home while I'm living in London and I'm stuck in this little basement apartment and I don't know anybody here and I can't go out and do anything. That's really where the impetus from the show came from. And we'll talk about that a little bit on this show. So it was great to be able to go to a show and go to a show you know, featuring Nick Mason and Guy Pratt who were in, Nick, in Pink Floyd when I saw them in 1994 in the same place that Jackson and I saw the Stones, Tampa Stadium. And really, you know, relive some old memories, but see just a killer show with great seats provided by Pantheon and Nick Mason. And we really, really appreciate that. Also, as a special feature on this show, Pantheon Podcast has been giving out a VIP experience to folks at every stop of the U.S. tour, right? So if you enter on PantheonPodcast.com, you can win some goodies t-shirts, lanyard, or a necklace made out of symbols played by Nick Mason, but you also win a couple of front row tickets. And our winner, Heather, was at the show, obviously. She had a great time, drove three hours each way to get to the show. Uh, and so we feature a little snippet with her talking about her experience uh, in Indianapolis as well. Now, we have to mention, we are super proud to have sponsors, rarevinyl.com, sponsoring us here. Amazing synergy for a rock and roll podcast. They have over a quarter of a million items in stock, folks. And it's not just rock and roll, but it's mostly rock and roll. And so if you're looking for that first edition Pink Floyd record, or maybe I saw a killer Japanese red vinyl one of these days single from back in the day, if you want to pick that up, go to rarevinyl.com, 
and use code PODCAST, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, you can get 10% off not only your first order, but all your orders going forward. They have an amazing rating from Trustpilot. They ship all over the world, and they take incredible care of this stuff, not only once they receive it, but in shipping it out to you. So check out rarevinyl.com. Use the code PODCAST. You can also go to EIL.com, same company. Use that code. Get 10% off everything. So it may not have been the easiest trip for me to get there. It's a little bit of a plane trains, an automobile situation. There was a very real possibility I wasn't going to make it at the last second. I was starting to become despondent. But at the end of the day, it all worked out. I got to Indy. Jax and I went there together. We worked the Pantheon table. We got to see all the VIPs come in. And we got to see Nick Mason's Sauce Full Secrets with killer seats right in the middle, maybe five or six rows back. A lot of fun. Different experience than it was at Royal Albert Hall just because I was front and center instead of way on the side there. And I think you'll enjoy what we had to say here. So thank you to all of you for tuning in to our 100th episode. It's been a lot of fun. And trust me, we can do a lot more than 100. We've got a lot more in store for you. We've got a lot of exciting things on the horizon. But this one's a special one. So buckle up. It might be a little bit long, but you don't have to listen to it all at once. Just settle in. It's going to be fun hearing me and Action talk about Nick Mason's Saucer Full of Secrets live in Indianapolis, right here on The Wolf. Our 100th episode, Jackson. Can you believe it? In less than two years, right? I mean, we started this in November of 2020. Here it is October, and we've got we've gotten to our 100th episode. It's kind of amazing. They said it would never last. It is exciting. It is exciting because that then you can tell people, you know, oh, we've got a podcast. Mm-hmm. Well, how's that going? Well, we just recorded our 100th episode. Really? Well, that sounds like something now other than, yes. yeah, we've got three or four in the can and right. we've been doing it for five years now. Right. No, no. I mean, it's look, I mean, here's the thing. When we started the show, I knew that we could do this a long time. I know that you and I have hundreds if not thousands (laughs) of conversations about rock and roll that we can have it's just a question of can we do it in a way that makes sense can we organize it away so that every week you know there's something out there whether it's an album that we love or it's a show that one or the both of us got to go see or we you know getting to interview our childhood heroes is a pretty big deal I mean, to be honest with you. Right, right. And I know when we started, I talked to a guy who his wife actually does a podcast and he's like, well, you know, 90% of these fail and because, you know, people just don't, you just don't stick with it. Right. And so I kind of, it made me a little nervous, but then I'm like, no, I think we've got this. I think we can do it. I think we've got the, we've got the, like you said, the, the content, it's just the getting it all worked out. And I'm glad that we did, even though sometimes it's a little wacky with, one time or the other. Well, you know, yeah. And it, it took us a little while to figure out the technical side, how to get our sound <laughs> decent. And, and I have to thank right. Pantheon Pods, our, our mothership, the network that we're proud to be a part of, for helping straighten us out on a few things. Not to mention trying to bring some advertising revenues in and, and sponsorship opportunities, interview and guest opportunities as well. But I mean, for me, that was kind of the big thing was, Great, we're going to be part of this great network. Can they make us sound better? <laughs> and it is nice too because we have gotten access to some some guests that we never would have on our own, and very excited to talk to them through Pantheon. Yeah, and of course, you know, talking about 
Guy Pratt of Pink Floyd fame and Gary Kemp, uh, who's probably most famous from Spando Ballet, but they're both part of Mick Mason's Saucer Full of Secrets. They're also uh, the hosts of The Rock on Tours, an amazing podcast that was really uh, an inspiration for us as well. Not that we're fantastic and famous <laughs> musicians who then can transition into talking to their friends and heroes on a podcast, but just to hear them every week, just because they don't just ask reporter or fanboy like us type questions, although they can be fanboys to some of these guests that they have sometimes. It's more of conversation with people who have been through a lot of the same stuff. Right, right. And it, it is interesting to to have them talk to them as, uh, yeah, not not just fans, but as counterpart or contemporaries, that's the word I'm looking for. There you go. Um, you know, you know, being out on the road, being with, oh, you played with this. Oh, yeah, I was in the band from this time to this time. And yeah, yeah. I knew this guy or I was at that party. Yeah, it really is a great, it's a great show. They they work well together. And you could tell going to see them live, they're they they have a genuine friendship and they like to they like to be around one another. Yeah, seeing them live when they're out there, like you know, touching feet during the, you know the song, yeah. and just kind of being silly, and it's like you know, let's get up in each other's face and give each other a look, you know, every once in a while. Yeah, so it's keeping it fresh, it's keeping it fun, and it's you know, look, they do six straight weeks on the road here in the U.S. I, I mean, I think they did three months or more uh, in Europe, you know, this spring and summer when I first mm-hmm. saw them at Royal Albert Hall, which was show 75. And our conversation with Gary and guys, episode 96, it's been pretty popular and you should probably check that out. But being that Pantheon sponsored Nick Mason Saucer Full of Secrets tour was, I thought it was a really big deal, right? Because I mean, podcast carriers usually don't get to sponsor tours, especially tours like Rock and Roll Hall of Fame members and things like that. So when Pantheon announced, we're going to do this, I'm like, oh my God, what can we do to be a part of it? Right. Yeah, I remember when that when that came out and was like, yeah, pick something. We it's it's too close not to be involved somehow. Exactly. And we even talked about having Guy on in our third show when we didn't even really know what we were doing still. But we figured out, okay, we need to talk about something we know and love. So we picked Pink Floyd's Delicate Sound of Thunder, both the movie and the and the record to talk about. And we went in depth on all the members and we talked about Guy on the Rock on Tours and how great it would be to have him on the show. Mm. Pantheon helped that come true. So once we found out, well, you can also go to a show, you know, work the booth, help get more folks interested in Pantheon, meet uh, the VIP winner, which is an incredible deal in every city uh, at least city in the U.S. I don't think it happened in Canada, but every city in the U.S., Pantheon was giving away a VIP package that included all sorts of goodies, but probably most importantly, two front row seats to the show. Uh, mm-hmm. And we're going to talk to uh, our winner, Heather, from Indianapolis, uh, who we got to meet at the show. And then we we talked with her briefly uh, about her experience, which will come up here a, a little bit later on. But but to be a part of that, and not only for us to be, you know, to meet Pink Floyd fans and to go to this killer show, and to have great seats, but to meet someone who's like blown away, a huge Pink Floyd fan who had this once in a lifetime opportunity to be up close to her heroes uh, and have a seat to an amazing night. And and it was it was uh, it was really cool to go. I mean, we got in early because we had to get set up and see the people come in. There were older people there. 
there were younger people there. There were some, yeah. Uh, and there were at least one or two sets of obviously parent and child. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them, I think, looked like a teenager. The other one was really tiny. I mean, this kid couldn't have been more than seven or eight years old. And you could see the look on the dad's face. Like he couldn't wait for this kid to hear the music. And the kid looked excited. And yeah, it was really, it was, it was a fun night. It was great to see everybody out. And it was great to, uh, to go to a live show with you after how many years? I mean, I, I think we figured it out that it was 12, 27 or 28 years <laughs> since the Stones Voodoo Lounge that we last saw a show together, you know, mm-hmm. because we we just haven't lived in the same town together in a long time. And we had those years where we kind of grew apart when you were in Texas and I was in Louisville and just didn't get together for anything. And so that alone made it pretty special. It's like, oh, you guys went to a lot of shows together. I'm like, well, yeah, from... <laughs> From 91 to 94, we saw a few. <laughs> and then I continue to go to a lot of shows. I just didn't do it with Jackson, you know? So. Right, right. Yeah, it, it was just, it was a great night. I'm glad all the stars lined up. But um, the beginning part of the story was kind of an adventure story. Yeah, there were forces conspiring against us <laughs> getting together for this show. It was conspiring against me getting there. And I guess I can give you some of the, the rundown of that. You know, we... We chose Indianapolis because when I come to America, I come to Florida and you're not too far away in Georgia. And we generally see each other when I'm in America. So I'm like, all right, well, if there's any Florida shows or an Atlanta show, something like that, we'll we'll pick one of those. They didn't really hit the South. I think they hit maybe a couple places in Texas, but they didn't really hit any place else. So we kind of had to find a show where uh, it would make sense for us to go. And we chose Indianapolis because... It's only a couple hour drive from Louisville. I know that we have listeners uh, in Indianapolis. Plus, my wife was working in Chicago that week. So it'd be easy for me to, okay, I will fly to Chicago with the wolf cub. I will give her to her mother. And then they can go have a beach vacation while we go to Indianapolis for the show. Correct. Now, wait, hold on a sec. Let me let me jump into this real quick. Because right. everything was planned meticulously. I yes. had plane tickets. You had plane tickets. Everything was fine. Car reservation. Correct. You know, hotel, the whole nine yards. That's right. I get, I get on the plane in Jacksonville. No problem. I fly to Jacksonville International Airport, which apparently means I didn't realize that Atlanta was international because that's the only place you can go from Jacksonville. <laughs> True. <laughs> I switch. I switch planes. I sit down in my comfortable first class seat which not really, but I can close my eyes and pretend I'm in first class <laughs> where I get a text from you saying, we've got a, in all caps, huge problem. And yeah. I say, could this go any other way? What's going on now? Of course. And not. take it from there. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I'm in Amsterdam and I'm flying with my daughter and, you know, they, they warn you, look, Schiphol is a mess now since COVID. We haven't been able to get the people in here to work. And you're talking about lines out the door around the block. And I'm like, okay, let's get there early because I don't want to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And it's coming up on their fall break. I took her out a couple days early so we could kind of travel without all that nonsense. And I think I'm I'm pretty glad that I did because within an hour of getting dropped off in the cab, we made it through checking our bags. We made it through security. We made it through customs. And we were in the lounge like having some breakfast like within an hour. I'm like, okay, that all worked out really well. Then the flight was delayed by about an hour. Now, this did not really bother me uh, because it's a direct flight to Chicago. And we were sitting first class. Like we had the chance to like lay down and Delta One and all that kind of stuff. Very nice. 
pretty nice. And so even we got on the plane, like, okay, we're well, going to be delayed another half hour. I'm like, so what? You know, it's, I, I'm, I'm more comfortable here than I am in the lounge. I got movies and watching the Elvis movie. I'm like, this is great. You know, kid's going to take a nap. It's, it's going to be fun. All right. So it's a little bit delayed. Kind of have to expect that a little bit. Eight and a half hours go by. We fly in. No problem. We clear in, in Chicago at O'Hare. Not a big deal. We get in the car, super nasty traffic. So it should have taken about 25 minutes to a half an hour, took an hour and a half. And I hate Welcome back to the USA. USA just running as smoothly (laughs) as ever, right? But still, it's not a big deal. So we're in a car for a while. I'm glad to be back in America where I can read all the signs. They're all in English, you know, and I know where I'm going. And we have a nice night out. I I take her out for a nice Chicago-style pizza. You know, mm-hmm. first time she's ever had a little deep dish Chicago pizza in Chicago. So I'm like, all right, that's a good experience. Now we'll get back to the room. My wife was working. She's actually working at uh, at the uh, Soldier Field that night. Uh, but uh, so I'm like, all right, I got my daughter. I'm going to get her to sleep. We're going to get up early. I'm going to take off for Indy. They're going to take off from the beach. After I take a shower, she's basically asleep in my bed. I just kind of sit next to her. I'm like, all right, I'm going to read through some emails here. Maybe do some social media, you know, try to get psyched up for tomorrow. Get a note from United. Your flight has been canceled. <laughs> and I'm like, uh-oh, that's not good because I'm pretty sure it was the last flight out. Turns out there's really on a Saturday. No, it was a Friday. I'm sorry. There are only six direct flights from Chicago to Indy. Now, I guess that's because a lot of people f- drive between Chicago and Indy. It's really not that far. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you figure there's got to be flights from Chicago to Indy, uh, you know, for business, you got to get down there in an hour. It's got to happen. Well, there's three on United. There's three on American. Mine got canceled and all the other five were completely booked up. It's like, well, you can go sit on standby. I'm like, okay, but what if I don't get on? Then I'm at the airport and there's absolutely nowhere for me to go. And so I started looking at other flights that maybe could take me somewhere. I saw a Southwest flight that if I'd gotten there at 5:30 in the morning, to Midway, it would fly me to Dallas and then fly me to Indy. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not even considering that. That's ridiculous. I'm not doing that. Right. Delta had one that took me from Chicago to Minneapolis and then to Indy, which would have gotten me there by like 5.30 or something like that, 6 o'clock, which would have maybe gotten me just in time for the show. I'm like, no, uh, I'll rent a car. No problem. You can rent a car one way, can't you? Well, since covid you really can't. They just don't have the cars and they just don't do that anymore, especially on such late notice, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I checked every normal one, like Hertz, Avis, Enterprise, all those. I even checked like fancy, like I'll rent a Porsche to go down there, you know, like like, like a nice rental, you know, place. Like, yeah. I don't care if it's 200 bucks and I'll do it. Nope, not even an option. So, all right, you know, I love to travel by train. That's the way we do it in Europe. Let me jump on Amtrak, no problem. Nope, there are zero seats from Chicago to Indianapolis <laughs> all day long. I'm like, okay, uh, bus, bus. There must be a way to get on a bus. I go to Greyhound and it, it and they even send me to something called Flix Bus, which I, you know, I'm not a, I don't ride the bus a whole lot unless it's like around the city. I don't take like right. inter intercity trips on the bus. So there's this nice service called Flix Bus with a big green bus. I'm like, okay, yeah, we can take you from Indy to Chicago. There was one seat left. And I'm like, I will take the one seat left, gimme. So I took it. And, and then I rested after two hours, just freaking out. I was like, oh my God, this isn't going to work out. Everything I've been planning for months, this dream come true, going to be our hundredth show. Uh, this sucks. And then I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm going to make it. it. It may not be, you know, first class in the back of a limo. Doesn't matter. I'm going to make it. Everything's going to work out. 
Here's the thing. Flixbus doesn't have a bus station like a Greyhound or something like that. So they just kind of pick you up on the side of the road. There's no sign <laughs> that says Flixbus here or anything like that. So I got there an hour early, as I like to do when I've never been someplace before, and, and just check it out. And I'm like, this can't be right. They're taking me to the wrong place. And I walked around the block several times. I asked a couple of people, like, no, no, that's actually it. You just sit there. And I was really nervous until other people started showing up. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the bus was 30 minutes late. Then, of course, it was an hour late, you know, then finally it arrived like, okay, great, you know, so it was kind of a dichotomy flying one day, first class, you know, all the free booze and movies and everything that I want. And the next day being squeezed onto a bus, you know, with a bunch of people, many of whom don't speak English or, uh, you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, hey, it all worked out. And it was the stop in Indy was a 15 minute walk to the hotel. So I walked right in. That that was the part that worked out well after everything that didn't. And yes, and you were, I was checking back in with you because my whole thing was that for the schedule, it was going to work out no problem. Right. Now, if you ran into traffic, that was going to be a problem. So that was in the back of my mind, like, mm, you know, is this going to work out? So you checked in periodically during the day and there were, I mean, first it was late by an hour. And then there was a little bit of traffic, but not too bad. But yeah, you ended up making it just in time, came in, changed like a trooper. Yeah. Then we were back out to the to the venue. Straight out to the venue. Yeah. And of course, you know, it, we hit some traffic. And on 65, I've never been on 65 when there was zero construction, mm-hmm. especially between Louisville and Indy. But, you know, on the north side uh, between Chicago, of course, we hit some of that as well. And uh, I don't know. Look. It's all the planes, trains, and automobiles adventure of getting to the show. But I'm like, no, damn it. This has to happen. This is really important to me. And I mean, as many shows as I've been to over the years, I'm like, this is one that I really want to do. A, because you and I were going to go together. Like we said, for the first time in 27, 28 years. And B, you know, we have interviewed this band. The guys who've been on stage, we're talking to them. Not to mention, we're doing a job for Pantheon where they're representing the network. Right. Meeting and greeting our VIP winner and, and looking to spread the word on our shows, you know. And I'll say it was nice to have a few people come up to us, including one young kid. I mean, he looked like he was in college or younger. and He, mm-hmm. he, he liked rock and roll archaeology with Christian Swain and he vowed to, to check out our show as well. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And there were a couple other people who, who showed, who showed some interest, you know, I think they, they maybe were, you know, it, it, had, new to the podcasting world mm-hmm. and hopefully we turned some people on, you know, we had the, uh, the QR code that you could scan to get the, to win the uh, giveaway. Mm-hmm. So the that library was of rock books. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Correct. Correct. And it was, it was fun to interact with people and it was cool to feel like, you know, I mean, we walked in there, we had our tickets, we were not technically in the VI, we weren't in the VIP for the VIP experience, but we got to get in early. We set up, we, you know, perhaps got to hit the merch tent a little bit early, which was nice. Yes. Uh, yeah. So that was fun. And yeah, just, just put everything together. Cause like you said, when I was, well, when I was on the plane and you said the flight was canceled, I'm like, this, this has to happen. It has right. to happen some way. We can't just say, well, forget it. This isn't going to go. Exactly. Exactly. So we just kept the faith and kept pushing forward and, and we made it. Thank God. And then we got to meet uh, Heather, our VIP mm-hmm. winner. We'll, we'll, we'll talk to her a little bit later in the show. And you know, what happened also in the VIP, and we say the VIP area, really, it was a table behind which, you know, I think it was, was it Chad was his name? I think uh, so, yeah. Who was helping all the VIP 
people out because you could buy VIP tickets, but we obviously had a VIP winner and that was heaven. Right. But Lee Harris came out at some point just to say hi. And I'm like, that's not Lee Harris, is it? No, <laughs> no, he it can't be him. He just looks like him. He's somebody else with the band, maybe some kind of road manager or something. But it was absolutely him. Uh, and he just celebrated his 50th birthday. So we didn't go over and say hi, but we were closer to him there than, than during the show. And uh, it's just... Uh, I don't know. It was just an interesting time there. And to see everybody filtering in, like you said, lots of old people like us and, and older, but there were some younger people. There's some Pink Floyd mm-hmm. fans because, you know, everyone's going to hear not just Dark Side of the Moon and, and, and The Wall and Wish You Were Here, but they're going to hear metal at some point And they're going to be like, huh, this is this communicates to me. This is going to become my favorite band. And I know one of the things we will talk to Heather about here in a minute is the uh, the big draw on this one was the addition of Echoes. Absolutely. And Absolutely. you can hear when they played that, which we'll get into. But I mean, you you can see how that was kind of the the beginning of the of the next age of Pink Floyd, of the of the Wall, of Dark Side of the Moon. These epic pieces that they would put together. So it was it was interesting to see kind of the beginning of that. And to go back and see the the Sid Barrett stuff and where they how the band really started. Yeah, I mean, Gary even talked about that when they were on our show. He's like, mm-hmm. you know, it was really the decision to do Echoes because it is such an epic, you know, whole side of an LP, 20 plus minute song. It is what kind of set the standard for what Pink Floyd would become mm-hmm. in the 70s and, and even into the 80s with these uh, this amazing sound uh, and these long songs. And, and it was a bit of an undertaking and, and daunting from what he said. The real difference is obviously introducing echoes into the mix. And that did, it took a lot of thought, a bit of daring. Uh, there were conversations had about, you know, should we take this on? You know, it was a little bit more purple, as they say, you know, those lines in Shakespeare, like to be or not to be, it's a, called a purple line. It For an actor, it's quite intimidating because so many people have have got opinions about it. And I think introducing Echoes into the mix was one of those tracks. And we decided to, to, to ignore, completely ignore the version David did, with Guy, which Guy played on, go back to the to metal, have a listen to that, find the sort of pastoral element of that track and, and approach it in, 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 a, in a much, you know, a way that was contemporary to, to, to you know, metal album. I, I'm, it's one of the highlights of the show, one of the highlights of my musical career playing that song. But, uh, but no, let's, let's go ahead. And, get, and by the way, Close Hall... I had never been to Close Hall. It is on the Butler University campus, north of the city, maybe a little north, even west of the city in a very, very nice neighborhood. Usually when I'm in Indy, you go to the Marat Theater, uh, which is downtown, which is pretty close to where we stay. Okay. Yeah. Um, they have a big amphitheater, which is up like on the north side, uh, which is another maybe half an hour or more north. Uh, and usually if you're from Louisville, it's the difference between staying the night and going home. Like if, you play, if they play Marat, or they play like with a Pacers player or something like that, mm-hmm. then you can drive home in usually less than two hours. But when it's on the north side and what used to be called Deer Creek and then it was called Verizon and it's called, it's had a bunch of names, right. but it's a big amphitheater. That's talking two and a half, 245. That's usually when I go ahead and stay the night when we're staying mm-hmm. up there, you know? So, uh, but Close Hall, it, it was nice. It was, it was huge in, in that maybe it didn't have, three or four thousand seats but it was so tall it was like cavernous 
Yeah, I think it was. It looked like it had three stories to it, mm-hmm. um, from what I could see. Yeah, it was a lot bigger than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, very nice. It looked relatively new. I don't know what the. I don't know what the when they put it into you into uh, first started with it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was really nice. It was like a. It was the the reception area when you walked in was nice. They, they had you know stuff for what was coming up. It looked like it was pretty much every night of the week. It looked like it was going to be used. Yeah, real nice place. Yeah, not the Murat like you said downtown, but still a really nice venue. No, and the sound was very good. The sound was mm. killer. I mean, it's it set up for music and for concerts, and and they do a lot of different stuff there. I know, but it, it's well designed to make everybody sound good. And it was, it was a great night for the sound. Absolutely. And, and, and just a nice place to be also. Like I've been to venues where you're like, Ugh, this is kind of, it's old and dumpy, but you know, you're there to see the show. Uh, I remember I went to see, to see the, uh, this had to be like 98 or 99, the cult in Roseland ballroom in oh, yeah. New York city. Mm-hmm. And I thought that place was going to collapse that night. I'm like, <laughs> wow, This is old. They haven't put a lot of money into it. The right. show was great. The venue was not, I can't say the same thing for this. Great show, great venue. Yeah, yeah. And the people, like the ushers, they're all really helpful, really nice. You know, mm-hmm. All that was good. So, no, we, we went and settled in. I mean, we're in like the, the sixth row, something like that, and in the yeah. center. So, you know, I'm going to compare a lot of it to the Royal Albert Hall show that I saw in the spring because, yeah, it was amazing that I kind of sat on stage almost mm-hmm. at, at Royal Albert Hall. All the way to the right, though. I mean, I was I was kind of right face to face with Gary there, maybe seven or eight steps away from him. <laughs> Just but, staring at him. Yeah, but I, I did block. I, I was blocked from Nick's face for most mm-hmm. of it. C- couldn't see Don Beacon that well. And though I could see Lee, he's pretty far away from me. And, and Guy is kind of in my way to see Lee, to be honest with you. So this show I liked. I mean, look, there's advantages and disadvantages to, you know, to where you sit. It was amazing to be that close and to be eye level with the band at Royal Albert Hall, but mm-hmm. to be straight ahead front there so you can see the stage, you can see all the lights and the colors going on behind them and see every individual clearly what they're doing. I think I I think I like this experience even better. So when you were at Royal Albert, did you get to see the backdrop? I could, yeah, I, absolutely. Okay. But again, you know, there's a big light thing in my way, um, and it's I had to look to the side to that. Like looking straight ahead, I can see Gary and Guy, and then there's Leo over there. I had to kind of turn my head to see that stuff. Whereas, you know, it's very much a part of. I mean, it's always been part of Pink Floyd's show, not only the sound, but to have this kind of psychedelic things behind. Right. Them, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that that did add a lot to it. The lights and the the what they were projecting in the back. So I could see if you couldn't see that, yeah, you were missing out on in a decent part of the experience. Part of the show, yeah, I totally yeah. agree with that. Yeah. Uh, so we get settled, we're totally psyched, and they start, you know, the same way they did. I think the, pretty much this whole tour, they start with one of these days, which <laughs> is killer. It, it's a killer way to start. It is one that I was familiar with from back in the day because it was on Delicate Sound of Thunder. Right. And uh, but it's got that six slide, that kind of pedal steel slide to kind of start everything off. And it's just it's a rocket way to start a show. And it, it gets it gets you into it. Like you said, I, the first time I ever heard it was on Delicate Sound of Thunder. And I had never I had never I mean, I had heard the the, the momentary lapse of reason stuff. But then like, well, what is this? Yeah. And it was just it was so cool. And to start the to start the show off like the part that that guy was playing on the bass. 
I didn't even know the bass could go that low. I mean, that he was hanging, doing yes, it. yeah. I mean, yeah. it was the part. I mean, it was hanging on the ground. It was so low. Yeah, it was really cool. And then and then Lee comes in with the slide, which I didn't know what he was going to do, but he did actually have a pedal steel yeah. slide, and that was that was cool to see right off the bat. Also, that's killer. Yeah, it was great. You know, so that that's just a killer way to open the show. So now we're rocking. Now we're psyched. Mm-hmm. Then they get into Arnold Lane, which was, of course, one of their first kind of singles. And it right. was recorded at that place that we saw on our tour, Jackson. Mm-hmm. That was the old Dairy yeah. uh, back in the day. And like Eric Clapton lived right down the street. And Steve Clark basically died, I think, right down the street yeah. um, from there. Uh, so, But what was cool to me was when we had Guy and Gary on the show, and I talked to him about Arnold Lane because... Gary sings it. Gary's a huge David Bowie fan. And when I was at the show in London at Royal Albert Hall, after they do the number, Guy stops and says, you know, the last time that was played on this stage, I was here. I was with David Gilmore and David Bowie came out and did it. And it was basically his last public performance. I think Guy mentioned that he did some kind of charity event in New York, but everyone has seen that clip. And, And so like that was a big moment for you, Gary. But Guy kind of had a revelation there. He's like, when David was singing it, and of course he did it perfectly. He knew the song inside and out. Mm-hmm. He put up two fingers, two to know, two to know. And it made him realize that the protagonist or the person telling the story knows what Arnold's up to because he's a dirty bastard himself, right? Like <laughs> grabbing girls' underwear, you know, off the off the clothing line or whatever. And then he said in our in our interview, it's like I worked out a way to hit the bass to still play it, and I can put up that number two as well. And then during that song, he did it. He put it up. He's just like he said he he did uh, in the interview. He's like, well, that's cool. That's a fun little twist to this. I'd like to have one thing here, which is what was interesting when Bowie turned up to do that song is is through you know because um. Because David Gilmore has always said half jokingly, "No Sid, no Bowie," and and what was interesting was when when David Tur- Gil- Bowie turned up to do that song, he knew it inside, outside, upside. It was like he'd been singing it every night of his life. And in fact, he did something in it which made me completely reappraise the song. When he when he sings the line two to no, two to no," and he held up his fingers like that in the in the peace sign, but that means two people, which suddenly makes you think two to no. I'd never really thought about that line. Of course, it's basically saying that the protagonist. And those, it does the same sort of thing as Arnold. The point, I've actually worked out a way to play that on the bass where I can actually do that as well when I'm singing it. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was great to see that because that's really what this show is all about. It's a, it's kind of a love letter to to Sid Barrett and where the band started and, and a lot to Rick Wright too, who we'll get into a little bit later. But yeah, yeah. To, to go back to the beginning after one of these days was great. And it, like you said, remembering the tour where we saw where they uh, where they had recorded it mm-hmm. and that whole day that we spent together with the uh, with the cab driver in London. It was just, it was just a cool way to. And I think. Wait, was that? No, it wasn't. That wasn't close to the power plant. We also went to the power plant, the Animals Power Plant. That that's day. right, Battersea uh, Power Station. Which yeah. now you can buy a condo there if you've got the bread uh, <laughs> and live with Sting. They, they've turned it. That's what they've turned it into. I believe it's open now. Yeah, but no, that was that was a fun day. Yeah, yeah. But then they got into some songs that, although I know them now, these are not songs that I heard very often. I, Fearless was the third song. And again, I, I didn't grow up hearing Fearless, right? This is one they play on classic rock a lot. Right. Obscured by Clouds, I knew a little bit. But yeah. this this run of Fearless, Obscured by Clouds, When You're In, 
candy and a currant bun. It really kind of showed the different textures, you know, some Sid stuff, some stuff of before them, after Sid had left the band, them finding their way and kind of seeing, eh, are we a pop band? Are we a psychedelic band? Like, what's going to stick to the window, right? <laughs> yeah, and again, that's that's where we're that's where we're at here as far as seeing how the band started like you said finding their way what what are we doing here are we obviously Sid was the was the the genesis of the band mm -hmm. and he had a lot of ideas but then you know other guys started to put their stuff in and they started writing songs together and it was interesting to see that kind of unfold but again you know then you go back to vegetable man with sid and it's just like i can imagine they're like what is this no no it's cool it's vegetable man Let's vegetable do it. man where <laughs> are you and obviously i didn't know that song because i i don't even know if they laid that down weren't they saying that the, i think nick came out and said pink floyd never played it maybe they never even recorded it and so songs are full of secrets are the owners of that song now yeah, it could be correct, even though even though it was technically written by Sid. Yeah, I think that's what he said, is they never actually recorded it. But then, okay, we transition into If. I like this song a lot, and I thought Gary sang it very, very well. And, and then there's a reprise, right? So it's If, then there's Adam Hart Mother, which has kind of got this big jam in it, and, and it's, it's fairly well-known Pink Floyd pre-Dark Side song. Right. And then it goes back to If, the reprise, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so it, it's kind of that dichotomy. It's kind of this sweet, you know, kind of wondering, dreaming if, you know, this could happen, if I could have this. Then you get into the heavy Adam Hart mother and then you kind of come right back out of it. Yeah. It's a fine line that they kind of balance on that one, I feel like. And it was it was interesting to see, too, how the again, the, the you know, you were talking about how. Gary was um, singing the song. It's interesting because, you know, Nick did some crowd work. Right. Which is interesting because I'm sure when they do Pink Floyd stuff or when they did Pink Floyd stuff in the back, he I don't believe he ever got to address the nope. the crowd. So it was cool for him. And, and he was just, I mean, it, very, very calm. You know, again, one of the elder statesmen of rock. And he was pointing out how, you know, he, he introduced the whole band, but he pointed out how Gary Kemp went from New Romantic to Prog Rock God. Right. And like, yeah, but he really can play these songs well and sing. And, you know, it, you were talking about Spandau Ballet. The, the big song for them was True, which I actually heard over the weekend. I was on the 80s, you know, Essentials channel on Apple Music or nice. whatever. Yeah. That's totally not what this is. Well, right. All. You know, I mean, it's like... Eh. And yeah. that's that's all the guitar in that really you know and Correct. so and you know the british press is notoriously kind of nasty and and they're all like who knew that gary kemp was such a good guitar player i'm like what i don't know the millions of people around the world who bought his records you know the <laughs> fact that he's been doing it for four or five decades did that kind of give you a clue to it but it's not his it's not what he's known for. It's not his right. style, right? You know, now he's a heck of a guitar player and did mm. some really great stuff, David stuff and, and Sid stuff. And he has a lot of toys there. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and, and, you know, he looks great. He looks like a rock star. He, he And he is, you know, he, he does a great job with this stuff. So it, it was cool to see that. But, but going to the next song after If Remember a Day, again, this is not one that I knew super well. But Guy came out and introduced it. And I guess it was one that Rick had written about, you know, being a kid and then you, you grow up and, and, you know, childhood memories that you need to kind of hold on to and stuff like that. And I, I know from what he said on our show that it's got to be 
difficult emotionally for him to sing Rick's songs, which he has to do every night in that mm. not only was Rick his bandmate, but, but Rick was for a while his, his father-in-law and is uh, his son's grandfather. Of course, Rick you know, passed away way too soon. And, and that's just got to be emotional for him every night. Yeah, and it, it sounded to me like from our interview with him that even though the, the relationship with his daughter didn't, you know, it didn't go on, he always had a special place in his heart for Rick. They always had a great relationship. And it sounds like Rick and the grandson had a great relationship, too. And, you know, he talked about the, the grandson being at one of the shows and him singing that. I'm like, yeah, I don't know how you hold it together every night. I understand you're a professional musician. I get that. Mm-hmm. But the fact that you can do that without, I mean, I'm sitting there with a tear in my eye, like, oh, man, how did yeah. you do this? But the other interesting thing, too, was, you know, going back to the Dark Side of the Moon and The Wall, you kind of forget that, you know, once once Waters took over, mm-hmm. you forget that, you know, the other other band members did write songs. They they were they were creative and, and not that they didn't during that time they contributed. But to have this song written by Rick Wright and and performed is, again, you know, you're keeping the the original material out to people like you, you're you're you know, reintro- yeah. yeah, you're reintroducing. Like I, said, I didn't know. I don't know a lot of these songs that well until they put this thing together. I went back and listened to them and kind of right. I wouldn't even say rediscover, but discovered them. So I'm glad that they're doing this because had they not, you, these songs would kind of get lost to history. Absolutely. Absolutely true. You know, and Rick, you know, look, we've talked about on the show before. Rick seemed to be to, to be the Derek Smalls of the band. He's he's the he's the lukewarm water, you know, between the fire and the ice. He, he tried right. to keep everybody right. pretty chill. And you know, when they got back together after Roger left, and technically, legally, it was just David and Nick or the members, quote unquote, of Pink Floyd. He came back to the band and and didn't put up a fuss that he wasn't you know a quote unquote member or didn't have his name up there and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. They did write it for the division bell. But then when David went out to do solo tours and he went out with Guy, Rick came with him. Right. You know, it, it didn't have to be David Gilmore featuring Rick Wright or didn't have to be David and Rick. He just wanted to sing and play the songs that he helped create and do it with with David and with Guy, obviously. So it wasn't just those two Pink Floyd tours that they did. He also got to tour with Guy with the David Gilmore band for all those years. And I think that just kind of helped solidify the relationship as well. Yeah. It it sounds like they did have a genuine friendship and I'm, I'm glad that they kind of righted the wrong of him being leaving the band, you know, coming back, reuniting with everybody, not Roger Waters, but everybody, the rest of the band and they could go from there. And I'm sure that that guy had some, great memories of those shows, you know, getting to play with his father-in-law. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now here's a weird segue for you. No, right. I don't think I ever told you this. When we were moving to London, when we were still in the U S I had a dream that I met, I sat down in a pub with Rick Wright in London. Well, and outside of London, because it wasn't, there weren't huge buildings everywhere. This is more like a, a small town, like a, a burb on the outskirts of London or somewhere in England. cool town pub and we Mm -hmm. sat there having a drink it was also one of those things where eventually i realized i'm dreaming because i know well look rick Rick, rick's dead like i I know i can't really go sit down and have a beer with rick while i'm asleep i'm realizing (laughs) that i'm dreaming you know it's it's one of those odd things i i wonder if that was a portend 
of things. If Rick was telling me something like, "You're you're going to have to go see Nick and Guy at some point here, buddy," when when you come over, I don't know. Country. It sounds like a cool adventure, though, in Dreamworld. Well, he was super nice. I can tell him that very cordial, and you know, an understated English gentleman. But uh, you know, and and he was sipping his drink while I was probably just guzzling it, asking for the, <laughs> the next one before this one was even empty, if, if I you know know myself well enough. But anyway, the end of the first set is set the controls for the heart of the sun. Now, this one I remember from Pink Floyd in Pompeii, mm-hmm. um, and, and you know, Roger kind of whispering, the heart of the sun, which, of course, Guy does too. He has to sing Rick's parts. He's also got to sing Roger's parts for the most part. Kind of a trippy song. It's a psychedelic song, but it's a cool one. It's definitely a cool song. And this is one of the ones where the backdrop really added to the the experience because, yeah, I mean, like they have the, you know, it kind of intensifies, the music intensifies as you're getting to the heart of the sun. Mm-hmm. And then the stuff in the back is really starting to to freak out. And yeah, it, it added to it. And if you were perhaps, I don't know, on some kind of, enhancement right um substance yeah that 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 would have been very intense and does nick kind of play the gong at the beginning of set the controls yes correct because there are a couple of older guys next to us one of whom (laughs) had a booming voice uh, and i could hear their entire conversation but he's like remember this moment Gong solo. (laughs) but that was it that was the great thing about this show is that yeah i remember them there were because I think there were three or four of them sitting on your side, and they were really excited to see this. And so I can imagine that yeah, when, once the whole thing starts, and yes, he knows the gong solo is coming up. He's anticipating it. So when it does happen, yes, he's freaking out. Yeah, he's telling that he buddy, gets to see it. Oh yeah, here it comes. <laughs> uh, so that was cool. And then they take a break, maybe like a twenty minute break, and they tell us, "Hey, we're going to take a twenty minute break." Pretty big exodus for the bathrooms and the beer line. Mm-hmm. But we did, I think, end up talking to that younger guy. Who I think he said he's about 27 and he's a guitar player. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like his 10th birthday was going to see Roger Waters do Dark Side of the Moon or something yeah. like that. But what was cool, he's a guitar player and he's into pedals and he will send like Instagram stuff to Lee Harris about, oh, look, I've got this pedal. What do you think of this? And he said, Lee, we get back to him a lot, you know, which is which is pretty cool, you know, because he's, He's in it. He's not a, he doesn't have a big band. You know, he's, he's just kind of a small, you know, or a young musician trying to make it. But he loved Pink Floyd and being there was a big deal for him, I could tell. And and that's where I'm not a super huge fan of social media. I think most of it is worthless. Right. Um, and just a waste of time. But for him to be able to interact with Lee and Lee being kind enough to, to get back to him about something, that, obviously a shared love that they have. Apparently Lee is just an absolute gearhead and loves, you know, if there's something new, he's got to have it. And and the guy was talking about some cabinet that, that uh, one of the manufacturers had built, built for him. Built for him, yeah. 40-watt, you know, just massive. But they had put it in this little tiny space so that he could practice with something that was the same thing as on the stage. Yeah, he he was just in heaven. And I have to give this guy, I can't remember what his name is, so I'm sorry, but probably one of the greatest mullets I've ever seen in my life. And I, just, yeah, I mean, just perfectly, you know, business in the front, party in the back. He was definitely living the lifestyle, having a great time uh, with, I think his brother was there with him. Mm-hmm. The two of them were in hog heaven. 
Yeah, no, he seemed to be having a blast. I was, I was happy for him. Uh, and so since they took a little break during that part, why don't we take a break and we could uh, let you all hear our conversation with Heather, our VIP winner from Indy. Sounds good. Hi, this is Gary Kemp. And this is Guy Pratt. And you're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast. <laughs> hey, we are happy to welcome... Uh, and as you know, we have been proud sponsors of Nick Mason Saucer Full of Secrets Tour of the U.S. and our mothership, if you will, Pantheon Podcast, Pantheon Network, which we're proud to be a part of, uh, was sponsoring it. Got us a great interview with Guy Pratt and Gary Kemp, uh, which you can check out episode 96. But we got to go to the show in Indianapolis at Close Hall, and we are giving away a VIP package to one lucky listener of Pantheon Pods. And that listener is with us now, Heather, who came all the way from Illinois. It was more than a three-hour drive to get to Indianapolis for that show. Heather, welcome to the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. And congratulations on winning. That's so cool. Tell us a little bit about, I mean, are, do you listen to any Pantheon podcast? How did you find Pantheon and, and this amazing VIP experience giveaway that, that, they, that you won? How I found out about Pantheon podcast, uh, Guy Pratt retweeted uh, about the contest about a week before the first concert. Ah, gotcha. And I entered a few times and started listening to a few then. I listened to your guys' show. I've listened to quite a few of them. And uh, well, thank oh, you. LA, LA Woman Rocks. LA Woman Rocks. There okay. you go. So I like listening to her too. Excellent. Well, cool. Uh, well, now, so the, the nice part is it, once you get into listening to podcasts, you can download and, you know, when you're doing something else, you can also listen. Like, I mean, I do it when I'm, you know, mowing the grass or, you know, something else that I'm like, Ugh, I don't want to do this. Hey, but I can listen to. You know, we, I can listen to the our latest episode. I can listen to Shout It Out Loud, who we love. I love to, you know, Mistress Carrie, any of these. So once you get into it, you kind of find like, you know, I don't, I don't have any time to, to listen to podcasts. No, you actually really do. Yeah. Driving around, Correct. going to stores, mm-hmm. cleaning the house. Driving right. for three hours to get to the show. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, so how did Pink Floyd come into your life? I mean, look, we're almost 50, me and Jackson, and we kind of lived through the last incarnation of Pink Floyd in the late eighties and early nineties. I actually got to see them play at Tampa stadium, but you're a little younger than us. You kind of missed out on that. So, so how did Pink Floyd, you know, enter your life? I've always liked listening to classic rock and stuff like that. And I was probably in high school when I first realized who they were, when I was listening to them okay, uh, on the radio and stuff. And the first Pink Floyd CD I had was the best of echoes two disc thing early 2000 maybe 2001 that sounds about right yeah so that was around the time that i was finding out about them missed the pulse tour but i've seen it it's great all that missed all the good parts but (laughs) well but it's funny that you bring up (laughs) echoes though because you know that did come out and that was the first time you really had a comprehensive greatest hits package kind of through the whole career of pink floyd right because they had this relics one that was kind of the Sid Barrett years, you know, they had, uh, you know, works and maybe a collection of great dance songs that had a few of the seventies or later day things. Really. We talked about on the show for us, the first real collection that maybe wasn't comprehensive, 
but it was a nice collection was Delicate Sound of Thunder when they did that tour. Uh, they put out a, a double live album. Obviously, it's live. It's not the studio stuff. But you get to hear the 70s stuff along with the stuff that they did on Momentary Lapse of Reason. That was really the first, to me, the first kind of killer collection. Uh, and it was really big for me and Jackson uh, as teenagers yeah. and into our 20s. But I remember when Echoes came out, I was in my, let's call it late 20s. I was professional. And it was the heady days of Napster. And I remember my uncle saying, well, look, uh, I, you know, because he's like a copyright attorney. He's like, you shouldn't be doing that. Stop that Napster stuff. <laughs> But if you find that old Pink Floyd, you can go ahead and make one of those for me. You know, so <laughs> after after that came out, then I went ahead and made one for me and for him. And it was cool because I did get to hear because, look, we're also children of classic rock radio and they don't really play much from before Dark Side of the Moon on American right. classic rock. Like we know money and time and wish you were here and the wall. We know that backwards and forwards because they play right. the heck out of it. But the Sid Barrett years and the years that they had David, well, they were kind of, I don't know, reformulating their sound, finding their way together. Because Sid was kind of the undisputed leader of the band. Then he right. kind of, you know, the cheese slips off his cracker. And then we kind of have to figure out, okay, well, now what are we going to do without our guru around? So this is kind of the, it, it, and the tour that we saw is the Sid years, plus the years where the band were trying to find their footing as a four piece before they blow up into like the biggest band in the whole world. Right. And so did you like that stuff? Do you like, you know, Arnold Lane, CM Lee play into stuff like Adam Hart, mother and echoes and set the controls for the heart of the sun. I mean, did, did that stuff inspire you from echoes or it was like, Oh, I just like this big 70s stuff. Oh, I liked echoes. That was my favorite from the get go. Adam Hart, mother. It's beautiful. I get chills when I, whenever I hear it, especially at the concert, hearing it live. Ooh. <laughs> yeah to, to, to see it's them do me. yeah to see them do echoes live it was it was it was amazing and everybody knew it was coming and that was kind of the highlight of the show but to actually watch them do it i mean because it's 20 what 21 22 minutes long to see oh, them do least. that yeah and and all the changes and how you remember that it's to, to see it live and i think that's really the big thing that that it, the whole show it, it just kind of proved to me is that it's it's just not the same. Like you can listen to the you can listen to the records over and over and over again, but to see them do it live and watch them, you know, the the interplay between the musicians is just I mean, it, it's insane. And to see Nick kind of back there as the grandfather, you know, watching, you know, because I mean he inspired all the guys who were in the band, he inspired them to, I'm sure, start to play to see them, right. you know, at this level is it is gotta be a great feeling for him also. Yeah, and they call it the Echoes Tour because this is their second tour. You know, they, they mm -hmm. went out a few years ago. Actually, when I first moved to London and I'm reading in Classic Rock magazine, you have to go see Nick Mason's Saucer Full of Secrets. Of course, I, I missed it, but they did release it, you know, live from the Roundhouse is this really nice package that they put together with CDs and DVD in there. Uh, so you can see it happen. And then obviously COVID came about and we couldn't go see rock shows for a while but but that was a lifeline to say okay well when they come back i've got to see that and they didn't do echoes on the first tour they, they did you know a, a lot of the sid stuff and a lot of the other stuff but the, when we had gary and guy on gary was saying how echoes was the one that really kind of turned the switch uh, and i think they were a little intimidated to do it on the first run but then they said okay well you know now i guess we kind of 
we kind of have to do echoes, don't we? <laughs> um, and and it's, it's the one that kind of set Pink Floyd up for their sound, starting with Dark Side, right? I mean, you can see where all that big, huge 70s and 80s rock grandeur came from, starting with echoes, right? Yeah, they really found themselves there. And, and it was interesting, too, to because that was played. They, they had a set, and then they took a break. And then, you know, kind of in the intermission, everybody's talking about, okay, here it comes, here it comes. You won front row seats, Heather. How cool is that? Yeah. Tell us exactly where you were in relation to the stage. I was on the left side. Lee was right in front of me. I was about five feet from the speaker stack. Wow. <laughs> wow. It was amazing. So were you blown out being that close, or did it just sound crystal clear and awesome? It was crystal clear bit of a headache but it was worth it <laughs> yeah and lee was right there didn't lee uh, give you something special uh during the show i got uh two of his picks oh nice uh that he played with that's that amazing. was really cool that is super cool uh and he just celebrated his birthday yesterday as we were yes he did um, happy I belated birthday <laughs> i think dom's about a month older than him i think Right around the start of the tour, he had his 50th birthday, too. Oh, is that right? That's, I think so. That's good knowledge right there. Yeah, that's good, Heather. Yeah, cool. I don't remember if it was right before it started or the first week of the tour. Somewhere well, so, in there, I believe, was his birthday. I, I'm, I think you're right. I think I may have seen that on social media. Tell us about the other goodies. I mean, look, getting front row seats, that's experience enough, right? But they give you some other fun little goodies when you when you get to the Nick Mason show. We got a tour t-shirt with all the tour stops on the back. Nice. A little tote bag. And the piece de resistance, if you will, was a little mm. necklace carved out of one of Nick's symbols that he's played with the Nick Mason logo, Foster Full of Secrets on the front. You can't That's buy awesome. that anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> no, you can't. You, you yeah, can't. we were uh, we were kind of hanging around. We were watching the VIP and we're like, well, if they have any more of those left, they didn't have any more of those left. Those were closely <laughs> guarded. That is a very hard uh, piece of uh, memorabilia to get your hands on. So congratulations. Thank you. I thought it was going to be like a like a pick, but it was just a little round, about the size of a quarter. So like a symbol. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, more like a symbol. Yeah. Because okay. because my I told my eight year old daughter about that. She's like, Daddy, can you get me one of those? I said, <laughs> I don't think so, sweetheart. No, I don't think so. All right. So so what are your highlights? I mean, obviously, echoes blew you away, kind of blows everyone away. But are there any? favorite standout moments from the show or even you know songs that like you didn't know that well and like wow to hear them live that's actually pretty cool is it bridges burning or burning bridges that's the opposite of the way they sing it the title uh, that one i didn't really know as well mm -hmm. i couldn't quite sing along with it but uh all of them were great really <laughs> it's hard to pick you know just a favorite because they're kind of all favorites it was so much fun so it was I've, worth the it was worth the drive Oh, oh, yes. If <laughs> they come back again to the U.S., I definitely am going to be seeing them somewhere. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I'm glad that I'm glad it was somebody like like you that won and not somebody like, yeah, you know what? I live, you know, two blocks from here. And I said, whatever. I mean, you really wanted to see this show. And so I'm glad that you won and got the chance to uh, to have the VIP experience. Oh, it was amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pantheon Podcasts. Thank you, Guy Pratt, for tweeting this. <laughs> <laughs> you you come from illinois you drove three hours up there but you didn't spend the night right you drove three hours or four we drove hours back home. i brought my brother with me and he had to be at work at 7 30 or 8 oh, saturday geez. morning That's <laughs> he a got trooper. a nap that is a trooper <laughs> he got a little bit of a nap and was off back to work those are true facts he, he called me on his way home so he could talk and stay awake <laughs> 
well, I'm glad you did that for him. And he did that for you to drive there. And that's true fans right there. Like Jackson says, like, well, you know, they're in the neighborhood. So maybe I'll, I'll try to win. No, you know, you were going to try to win at one of the shows somewhere, you know, and you won Indy and then you made the trek and you got home in the middle of the night. You know, that's a true fan. That's who we wanted to win mm-hmm. this experience. We got home about 2 a.m. Oh, geez. And my dog woke up the house. <laughs> not used to people coming in in the middle of the night. All right, Jackson, do you have anything left? Anything else for Heather? Thanks for being a listener. Thanks for coming out. Really appreciate you entering the contest and winning. And uh, yeah, feel free to check out any of the uh, Pantheon podcasts. And if you like Gary and Guy, check out the the Rock on Tours because that's a great show. Uh, the two of them are great together. They have some really big guests. They have Patty Constantine on today. Constantine. The, I saw from, that, uh, yes. That's right. House of the Dragon, King of the Series. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give that one a listen while I'm cooking. <laughs> also from Hot Fuzz. Yes, yes. Oh, well. yes. <laughs> All right, Heather, look, thank you so much for being on the show. Congratulations on being the Pantheon VIP winner at Indy. Again, thanks for listening to our show, for the other Pantheon shows. Thanks for being a Pink Floyd fan and keeping the music alive. Uh, thank you guys so much. Thanks. Concert of a Lifetime. Thank you. Glad you enjoyed. Excellent. Hi, this is Steve Hackett. And you're listening to The Ugly American Werewolf in London. All right. And like Big Mason Saucer Full of Secrets, we're back for set two. And I, I got to tell you, I really enjoy set two. Not that I don't enjoy set one, but this is where they kind of get into some really trippy stuff and some heavy stuff. I mean, some of this is heavy metal-ish, uh, some of these songs that they go into here. Yeah. Now, Astronomy Domine, we, we that's a big kind of pre-Dark Side Pink Floyd song. I think a lot of people know that. Kind of trippy. Again, I think I knew that from... Uh, from Pink Floyd live at Pompeii. Uh, so I, I really enjoyed seeing that one. It's one they can stretch out a little bit, but then they get into the Nile song and then that's a little, that's a little heavier, right? Yeah. And, and I, I think you're right. The most of the stuff that I knew was from the live at Pompeii and this was not one of them. So yeah. it was kind of, this was kind of a new thing for me. This was off of, where did we get this from? I think this was a David Gilmore, Roger Waters compilation. Okay. And so, yeah, yeah, you're right. Now we're getting into we're getting into some bigger stuff, so or some more heavy stuff. I'm actually really. I was kind of on the fence about the intermission. I was like, eh, do we really need this? But I think it was a nice break. Everybody mm-hmm. kind of needed. I know the band kind of needed a break, and the, I think the crowd needed a break too. Again, you know, just kind of get yourself reset for this for the next set. Absolutely. Now, I I, I remember when Rush did an evening with Rush uh, starting in the the late the mid to late 90s and I'm like oh man what are they taking a break for I'm like well because they're playing for three hours you know and they're not kids anymore and yeah break it up you know give people instead of saying here's one of our new songs and letting people go to the bathroom for that you know give them a, a built-in bathroom break right yeah well, and the other thing too is you only, you only have so much capacity, and after a while, even even if you're really into it, you're just going to get tired. Mm-hmm. You're just going to get worn out. So, yeah, I'm glad that they did that, um, so that we could kind of again reset and get ready for the next act. Yeah, and it it, it worked out great. You know? Yeah, uh, and then you know it, it seemed like you know they went now. Song was kind of heavy, burning bridges, cool song, and I think Heather really liked that one from her vantage point. But then childhood's end. I don't know. I thought Lucifer Sam was obviously kind of a, a Sid song, right? <laughs> uh, 
And I see yeah. where Arthur Brown is. Uh, our buddy Paul Stevenson recently interviewed Arthur Brown mm-hmm. uh, on his show. And he's got new music coming out where he does rework his classic fire. <laughs> but I think he's he's doing a version of Lucifer Sam on there, too. So that'll be interesting to hear. But that's that's kind of showing Sid's wackiness there, I would say. <laughs> right, right. And again, it, you know, it, it all goes back to the to Sid starting the band um, and kind of setting the setting everything into motion. But the the thing, the only you know, the only kind of bad part about the second set is that you knew Echoes was going to be in there, and right. that's really what everybody was everybody was super pumped for that. So it was kind of like it, everybody was listening, but they were just waiting, like, okay, you know, oh, ah, it's almost here, it's almost here. You know, you're you're absolutely right, and that's why I'm kind of breezing through Burning Bridges, Childhood's End. These were all performed very well, and I enjoyed all of them, but it was. It was like, okay, now there's only two more till Echoes. Right. Now right. there's only one more till yeah. Echoes, right? And then when Echoes comes in, that's what, I mean. and that's what that, that, that 27, that guitar player kid, he's like, this is what I've been waiting for like, yes. my whole life. I never thought that I would see this. Uh, and this is, it's making it very special for him. And I'm like, you are seeing something special here because Echoes is, God, I mean, how do you, how do you describe it? It's, it's epic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, complicated uh it's complex to play it's got a lot of movements and kind of ups and downs not to mention the kind of psychedelic stuff going on behind and did guy get to hit the gong or hit the cymbals on this one there's all sorts of stuff going on on this thing yeah and and that was kind of the buzz even before the show started when everybody was kind of out in the in the lobby you know that you could hear the conversations going back and forth and yeah that's what everybody was waiting for I really don't understand how they do this, uh, how you can memorize enough music. I mean, 24 plus minutes of music. There's no, nothing is written out. There's a lot of changes. The The time, you know, it slows, it, it speeds up, it slows down. You're playing different instruments. I don't understand how they do that. But at the beginning, they had the, the little tiny circle in the back. Mm-hmm. And then, boom, it got a little bit bigger. Bing. And then, boom, yeah. And then it got a little bit bigger. It was just like, I'm freaking out. And they're not even playing anything yet. I know. I know. And it's probably a good time to kind of talk a little bit about the demeanor of these guys. Mm-hmm. Starting off with Nick, what is he, 78 or something like that? I, I know that he probably broke a sweat and, and was pretty active. But he never looked like he was working hard to me it, it all looked like it flowed to him you know like, like he, he wasn't straining back there yes he was hitting those drums and hitting all the different pieces and stuff like that but uh and it's drumming is a very physical activity but it didn't seem like it was wearing him out it just seemed like he was in a flow and had a, a good rhythm to him if you if you watch the show with the sound off and just watched him watched him him play you think well he's not really doing anything back there because you're yeah. right he's not he's not all over the place he's not reaching he's not you know slamming the drums around but then when you listen now he can do a lot with an economy of movement mm-hmm. and again like you said it's he's 80 the show is an hour and what 20 minutes hour 30 minutes altogether oh, no, a it, lot of- it's i mean look dude it's 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 like two and a half hours okay I mean, okay like it's an hour and 20. And then they take a break and okay. it's another hour, you know, and then they come back for the encore, you know, it's, it's a lot. So you got to pace yourself. And I think that he can do a lot with an economy of movement mm-hmm. back there. And, and again, he, he knows what he's doing. He's been doing this for a long time. And yeah, to, to hear him play, there's a lot going on in the drum kit. A lot going on. That's for sure. 
Uh, and then we move out front to our boy Guy Pratt. I just, I've just been a big fan of his ever since the Delicate Sound of Thunder days when he was this mop top kid, yeah. you know, running in place with his bass during you know <laughs> Run Like Hell. And uh, and he's obviously he's funny, he's quick witted, doesn't take a whole lot of shit from people, and and he has to sing. And he's got that bass, and he can kind of thump around the stage. You can kind of check everybody out, see how they're doing, have some fun with Gary while they're touching feet, you know, at the beginning of the show and stuff like that. But I, I still feel like he's kind of in charge. And he does – he and Gary do most of the crowd work. Nick does some because it's his band and it's his name on top there, and he wants to thank people. But but it seems like Guy is really the master of ceremonies out there in front to me. That that's what it seemed like. You pointed that out at the Royal Albert show, and we we talked about that during the interview. But yeah, you can really see that like he's playing his part, the the bass, he's singing, he gets to play the gong a little bit. But yeah, you can you can see that he's scanning everybody else to make sure okay, everybody know where we are, everybody good, everybody right. you know, there's no problems. You know, he would turn and look back at Nick. You know, he would look at at uh, Lee. And Gary, and really, yeah, he he's kind of the guy. I, don't, I mean, I didn't see him do anything like, hey, you know, you're you're off or you're out or whatever. Mm-hmm. But definitely making just make monitoring, making sure that everybody's on the same page. Yeah, and he had a little stand there where he could put his picks and stuff. It also looked maybe he had a vape kind of a thing going on there. Maybe he had something. Yeah. Something was going on there. I didn't really see him exhale at all. But you know, right. he's a professional, so yeah, that's right. I never exhale. Yeah, uh, exactly. Senator. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> and then there's Gary Kemp over there. He's got a lot of toys. Obviously, you're used to people having pedals, but he had this thing that he could work with his hands to make all these creepy and crazy noises throughout Echoes and, and mm-hmm. some of the other songs, and it's it's really cool. Plus, he he's kind of tall. He's like six feet tall, which for a rock star, I mean, like Joe Perry's like five foot four, five foot three, <laughs> or something like that, and he looks like a badass, but he's not that tall. But Gary is, you know, and He's, I don't know, he's just, he's got a great smile. He's obviously an entertainer, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, like we pointed out too, I mean, he's, he's a, not only is he a professional musician, he's a professional actor also. Yes. So yes, very, has a very good command of the stage and command of the crowd. And I thought it was, it was interesting to see him and Nick go back and forth. Like Nick was obviously the star of the show. We right. get that. He would go up and he would, you know, he would say what he had to. And then Gary would take over, you know, the, you know, do the shtick about the, like he, it was great to see the, the t-shirts from the other bands. I yeah. thought that was great. You know, keep the flame alive from Metallica and ACDC. And then he was very upset that no one had the Spandau Ballet. No t-shirt. one has the Spandau Ballet t-shirt, but I got to tell you, <laughs> if I'd had one in 1983, it, it wouldn't fit now. You know, <laughs> I've got it on. It's a child's medium. <laughs> exactly. But, <you> know. <laughs> but talking about working the stage, Nick saying, you know, the first time we ever played here was Market Square Arena on the Delicate Sound of Thunder tour, on the Momentary mm-hmm. Lapse of Reason tour. And I thought that was interesting. Is that, that means from, I mean, it doesn't surprise me that in the SIG years, they didn't hit Indianapolis. Right. But from 72 through, well, you know, I mean, that's the thing. They didn't do many they didn't do many shows. Obviously, in the '80s, they didn't really do too many wall shows. I mean, they only did a couple, a handful, I think, in America. They wouldn't have hit indie, and then that would have been the next tour. But I guess Animals never hit indie. Wish You Were Here never hit indie, and obviously, when they toured for um, the big one for Dark Side of the Moon, they didn't hit indie as well. It's a little surprising, but you know, I, you know, not not to denigrate Indianapolis or Indiana. 
Indianapolis back in like the 60s and 70s was kind of nicknamed Indian No Place. Like it wasn't that great of a spot. Uh, and then I think over the years, you know, they've invested a lot in downtown mm-hmm. and they've, uh, you know, their ABA team became an NBA team. And then that kind of helped give them some credibility. They got the Colts in there in what, 83 or 84 when they kind of left Baltimore in the middle of the night. I think that helped them grow up quite a bit. And, you know, they have some big business uh, based in Indy, which has grown up. Like I think, you know, is Eli Lilly, one of the big drug companies is up there and uh, and stuff like that. So Indianapolis has grown up quite a bit in the last 50 plus years. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously they used to have farm aid and stuff like that there, and they can host big events. They host the final four all the time. They've hosted a super bowl at this point, which is no mean feat. Jacksonville hosted a super bowl. They'll never host another one. Indy hosted mm-hmm. one and they'll probably do it again, you know? So they, they've kind of proven that they've grown up. And, and so, uh, I don't know. I just thought that was interesting that that was the, that was the first time that Nick had been to Indy was 87. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing, too. The only thing about Indianapolis is it's only, what, how many hours from Chicago? Well, if you take a Flix bus, it's about three and a half to four hours. But you're right. I mean, driving, it's only about three hours. And then right. it's not that far from Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. It's not that far from Cleveland. You know, it's not that far from, say, a St. Louis or a Nashville. So there are other places to go in the general vicinity, and it would be easy to to fly over those places back in the day. Right. Now, Dom Beacon, I didn't see much of. He's back there behind all those keyboards, and he's making some great noises and kind of uh, giving us, you know, Rick Wright's portion of these songs. Mm-hmm. But I think he's also triggering the sound effects, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe it, it that's somebody be. off stage, but that's a big job in a show like this. Yeah, yeah. There's he he probably had what like five or six keyboards that he was working with, plus some other stuff there that you probably couldn't see. I don't know if he had pedals down there, but he was definitely working hard. Yeah, I don't know if it's a fair light that you program that stuff into. I mean, I know Jeff Downs kind of keeps one of those around because he kind of needs to. Yeah. For, for yes, yeah, but uh, you know, he's those textures and those keys are very, very important part of Pink Floyd's sound, all provided by the great Blake, great Rick Wright. Uh, so that's an important role to play. And you know that he's going to have to get that right with Guy and Nick in the band. And, and that's the other thing, too, is, you know, we, we were talking about how complicated Echoes is it just by itself. Yeah. If you trigger that at the wrong time, just, you know, for whatever reason, that's going to throw everything fucked off. up like the whole that, song. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. What is going on? Yeah. How is that? How is that even possible that you're? That you're doing this at the wrong time, but yeah, you were talking about that Gary's rig. There, there was a lot going on. He had that thing that was about. I mean, he had pedals on the ground. Sure. He also had the thing that was probably you know three or four feet tall, waist high. Yeah. Could, yeah, that he could mess with, and, and at some point in time, like there were knobs that he was turning. He had the guitar, and he was kind of putting it in front of it, like you know, to to make you know Some to feedback have the, or something. Yeah, to yeah. have the pickups feedback on it. So yeah, there's a lot. There was a lot going on to to get it all coordinated like that is is insane to me. But I didn't. I mean, I, I'm not a professional musician. I didn't hear them make any mistakes. I didn't see that look from guy like, "What are you doing?" Right. Nothing like that. I mean, it all seemed to flow pretty well. Very well, absolutely. You know, and and then to see Lee Harris. I mean, he was the one who I really got to see better being in the front this time versus mm-hmm. being on the other side of him. Uh, and he apparently likes gold. Because he had his his gold <laughs> strat, his gold telly, and I guess you said that was a gold music man that he had. That's what as it looked well. like, yeah. But he was really good, and I think it was him 
who really kind of put forth this idea to Nick to like, let's do the pre-dart side stuff. Cause he's like, Nick, let's go out and do something. He's like, nah, you know, it's kind of already been done. We did it in Pink Floyd and David's mm. been out and done it. Roger goes out and does it all the time. So I don't think so. He's like, no, 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 let's do the Sid stuff and the stuff that came up before. He's like, all right, well, that's interesting because not anybody authentic. There may be tribute bands or cover bands that do that, but no one authentic Pink Floyd has really ever done that before. I think that's what turned Nick's head. Yeah. I, yeah. If, if Nick Mason went out to do the wall, nobody would show up to that because, you know, like you said, it's been done a million times. And, and I don't think Roger or David is going to really get into the old stuff. So it does really fill a spot. And so kudos to Lee for thinking about that. But it was also cool to see him and Gary interact because, you know, at first you'd say, okay, I understand what's going on. You know, Lee is the, is the rhythm and Gary's the lead, but then that switched back and forth. I mean, and he That's could, right. Lee could rip it up when it was his turn. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, it's somebody who grew up playing these Pink Floyd songs and loves them. Finally yeah. get the opportunity to play them. You're going to do it right. And as recording this, he just turned 50. And I, I was kind of curious about that because I know how old Guy and Gary are because, you know, we've, we've watched them play for years. So we, we know, right. you know, they're about 60 ish, something like that. We know that Nick's nearly 80 now. And I just kind of figured that Dom and Lee were probably Guy and Gary's age, but no, they're, they're our age. I think Dom had his birthday maybe a month before Lee did and he's 50, you know? So that to me is really awesome. I mean, talk about a dream come true. Guys, our age get to play Pink Floyd stuff. <laughs> With the rhythm section of Pink Floyd, how how mm-hmm. cool is that? Man? Yeah, yeah, and and to have you to have this idea to think about it, and then have bringing it to Nick and have him saying yes, let's do this. That's a great idea. Would be would be awesome also because you know it, again you grew up doing this. You you probably learned these songs in your bedroom with whatever you know whatever equipment that you had, either a hand me down or you know some kind of cheap guitar i'm sure when he first started and yet yeah, now to be a pro and to play this live in front of these people has to be a dream come true well and he said at the royal albert hall show that he grew up like in that neighborhood like in a in probably a pretty nice house actually because yeah. it's just a very nice neighborhood but he could see the gear being loaded into royal albert hall for oh, these wow. shows you know and so he would dream about playing in royal albert hall one day mm-hmm. so that's that's pretty cool that he succeeded on on that front but Look, Echoes was just, it was amazing. And I mean, over 20 minutes, they're doing all this cool stuff and then they kind of got to bring it back together after they go freak out in this big psychedelic way to kind (laughs) of pull it back together into some shape and then round it out. Huge round of applause, right? Huge round of applause. Yeah. The the, the young guy, the the killer mullet, the guitar player. (laughs) I mean, I'm surprised he wasn't in tears. He was like, (laughs) he was so psyched to see that song live. And I was... And it made me happy. That's, I mean, look, I'm happy for us to see it, but to be around fans to whom this means so much is a really cool experience. And it's interesting too, because you can listen to the, the albums over and over and over again by yourself, or even with, you know, a couple of people in the room, because we used to do that back in the day. Right. To, to hear a live performance with people you've never met before and to see these, everybody who was so excited you know, you would think, do, do people even remember these songs? I mean, they were so long ago, and they're and even in the Pink Floyd universe, they're kind of obscure. No, everybody loved them. It yeah. was great to hear them. They sounded great. 
and and just to have that communal experience with these people uh because i was watching him because w- when he said that he was how excited he was i'm like i'm gonna uh, yeah, let's see if this check guy it got, on him yeah. i want to yeah i want to see if he got his money's worth he absolutely did he was freaking out in fact i think i mean they had an encore even if they stopped after that he would have been fine absolutely yeah no and and you gotta think that for those guys to pull that off mm-hmm. and that's a whew, ha, yeah. thank you good night and then <laughs> then they can come out and do and really look see emily play and bike are our pop songs really right. the, the six right. pop songs Saucer Full of Secrets is, is a cool kind of got that psychedelic feel to it, Pink Floyd piece. But Bike is kind of a funny little song. And you heard the crowd singing along. And yeah. that was cool to me because I know they don't hear that on the radio. They, they don't know that from listening to classic rock radio. They know it because because either they had echoes or they listened to it back in the day on the original LP or even the single. Uh, and it's, you know, it's it's a funny little song. But people loved it, and it's a fun way to kind of wrap up the show. Right, it, it's a it's a lighthearted way after you've been through this exactly. giant piece of music. Yeah, to do that kind of at the end, you know, everybody's everybody's excited but also exhausted at that point in time. Yeah, it was a great way to great way to end, and it was a it was a, a cool little sing along song. Yeah, and I gotta say, some of the more expensive seats around us were empty for the maybe the mm. first half uh, of the show. But by the second half and certainly by the encore, they were full. But people had worked their way down. (laughs) People who were out back in the back said, well, why don't we just go down there? Right. And that's that's the way it ought to be. They ought to be playing to a full crowd. They said during the intermission, they thought the crowd was great. Now, I've never heard someone come out and say, we all decided you're a very average crowd or you're 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 not a good crowd. You're not doing it for us. So, no, no. Wait a minute. Yes, you have. Yes, you have? have. Yes. When you went to go see the cult. You were, yeah, yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. I don't know if it was, <laughs> he didn't say the crowd was bad. He was just like, energy. Yes. He, you yeah, have to let was, us know. We don't know how we're doing unless you scream, you know? Right. Like, and, and that's, that's, that's a very good point though. And he was, and Ian was, was bent out of shape that night because the crowd wasn't giving him what he needed. Right. And I think that, I think that everybody was giving them what they needed that night. I mean, the, the energy was fantastic. Everybody was there too. Well, I mean, a, a lot of people were there to see echoes, but just to see these things and, I'm glad that 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 they got positive feedback from the crowd because it's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to tell when you're just sitting there kind right. of you know with just a couple of people that you can that you can see right and again this is the show I mean we all stand up and applaud okay they're on this is great we're so glad to hear basically everybody sat down through this whole show you know it's right. not a stand up with your fist in the air kind of show this is like sit down and scratch your chin and say, Oh yes, they're doing this very well at this point kind of thing, you know? So you might sing along, you might clap your hands and stomp your feet, but you're doing it from a seated position for the most part. And that's, that's why sometimes it's hard to tell, are they digging the crowd or are they kind of bumped? Right. Yeah. Well, I know when, uh, when Gary had his, whatever that thing is that, that pick, thing the lighted yeah it's like a digital pick that's the size of like a beeper or a cell phone or something when he was playing that like i i was just intently focusing on what that thing was and trying to trying to figure out you know how he was playing it what it was and so it it, it kind of just keying in on one part of the show so i'm glad that they that the crowd overall was good for them no no that's uh and that's kind of what i've been getting i mean i i think that um 
even if the upper deck isn't full or something like that, everyone who's there is psyched to be there. Yeah. Uh, the band is really on point and they kind of own some of these songs. Some of these Pink Floyd never did as a band, or if they did, they haven't done them in more than 50 years. Mm-hmm. And so they're really the owners of these songs and really keeping the flame alive for this part of the catalog, which has a, a, a very loyal, maybe not huge, but an incredibly loyal fan base. Right. And I think that if you if you give this a chance, you will enjoy it. Well, I, I say, yeah, you know, just go out there and see this if you get the chance, because you will come away saying, you know what? I really need to listen to the, the, the you know, the Obscured by Clouds. I need to listen to Metal. Adam Hart Mother, all mm-hmm. of these records, because they're they're great and they're underserved. Underserved in American. Right. Classic rock. I mean, correct. Cla- classic rock radio will play the hell out of Dark Side <laughs> of the Moon. We should be the wall. And obviously you're going to know that, but this is underserved. And so I was glad to see that in America because in England, the radio kind of works differently. And Arnold Lane and CM Lee Play and Bike, they really were hits on the radio. Hmm, Whereas maybe they weren't huge hits on the radio in America, or if they were, eventually they kind of went away and gave way to the dark side of the moon kind of. Right. But but I was glad to see that so many Americans did know the stuff and, and were so into it. To be honest with you, yeah, I don't, there wasn't it to me. There wasn't any kind of lull in it at all. There no. was no, there was no like eh, I don't really know this song, so yeah, I'm gonna get up and do something else. No, everybody was into everything, and like I said, I I didn't see any kind. There wasn't any kind of dip anywhere in the show. It was all it was pretty much constant energy the whole time. Absolutely, you know, and we were fortunate enough to get our psychedelic tour posters autographed mm-hmm. by the guys. Mm-hmm. Those will be getting framed here shortly. I did get it back to. Uh, to Europe in, in oh, one piece. Yes. So it was it was a special night. So glad to be part of Pantheon so mm-hmm. that we could do this, so we could represent them, but but see the show. And our first concert together in, in almost three decades, Gary. I mean, that's that's kind of crazy when you think about it. Right. And I've I've been talking to my wife about this. You know, you can't really you can't get upset for things that you didn't do in the past. Right. You know, it, oh, I, I should have done that. You know what? Let's just let's just take this and move forward and make sure that it's not another twenty-seven years before we do it again. Well, it's it's not as uh, as well, we'll, and we'll see what the travel situation is. But I did secure us tickets to two Iron Maiden shows next summer. Yeah, and I would be very upset if I missed those. So yes, definitely travel plans are being made right now. And speaking of shows in the future, yeah, Roger Waters has announced his farewell tour is beginning mm-hmm. uh and i went ahead he is coming to amsterdam so i went ahead and and picked up tickets to that now <laughs> roger has gotten himself back in the news again because oh boy yeah he's he's in favor of ukraine giving up the donbas to russia and just being happy with them annexing crimea uh and now he says that he's on a list of to be killed by ukrainian operatives and i'm like that may all be true roger but that doesn't mean you're not a paranoid wackadoo. <laughs> Seriously, what's wrong with you? Well, you know, and you have to know that if you make comments like that, people, there's going to be a backlash. There's going to be a backlash. I don't understand why you can't just say, hey, tour coming up. Can't right. wait to see all of you. So excited. Well, I have seen Roger twice, and I got to tell you, he puts on a hell of a show. I saw him mm-hmm. do The Wall, which is obviously an enormous production building up the wall and, and then tearing it down and all that yeah. kind of thing. But then he made a new album 
what, five years ago, something like that. And he toured on that. And mm-hmm. I mean, the the screens and the lasers and the stuff that he uses in his show is kind of unbelievable. You know, it, it's it's pretty amazing. They're expensive tickets, but given the show, they're they're kind of worth it. Okay. Well, I mean, that's part of it too, is, you know, is what you're getting for what you're paying. And I think that, I don't know. I think that, I think that the, what you paid for this Nick Mason show, I think you're getting every bit of it out of it. I mean, there there is a, okay. Let's be real honest. There isn't the laser show like you're going to see at At Roger uh, Roger Waters deal, but I mean, I think it all flowed together. I think there was enough of a stage show that enhanced the music. Absolutely. The musicianship was top notch. And and just the the energy from the band was really cool too. You could really tell that they were all they were all happy to be together as a band. Absolutely, no, they were having fun together. They enjoyed playing together and being together. You see them on social media; they're on a bus together. You know, and they may sleep in hotels, but they're on a bus all day together. And it's a very Including nice bus. Nick. Yeah, not it's it's not like oh Nick's got his own bus and the band goes together. No, they're all just kind of sitting around there goofing around you know, doing their own thing and, you know, just having fun. Yeah. Reading the paper, making smoothies, cracking <laughs> jokes, you know, <laughs> doing what they have to do there. You know, I mean, Nick could probably break out the private plane if he wanted to. He could fly the plane if he really wanted to. Correct. Um, but, uh, but no, you know, it's like, we're going to do this six weeks. We're going to be on the bus together. And and it, it seems to be going really well. Now, by the time you hear this, there will only be a few left. I, I think, uh, there's a couple of, uh, there's like a Santa Barbara and an LA show at the Orpheum. There's Fox Theater in Oakland and there's Seattle where uh, we will have VIP winners for Pantheon. I think they wrap up in Vancouver and we're not there. Pantheon won't be there for that, but that's that's where they wrap it up. Six weeks, killer shows. Uh, and yes, absolutely go see them. If you have the opportunity, don't miss it because who knows? This had to be postponed for two years because of COVID. Now Nick's settling in at, at 80 he never had to do this for the money. Mm-hmm. So does he want to go out and work more? Does he want to stay home with the grandkids more? I don't know. It, only time will tell on that. Yeah. And I think that after the whole COVID deal, that that's, you know, the two years kind of got lost with right. all with all this stuff. So yeah, I would say if you have the chance, you may not get another one. So eh, I'll catch him next time. No, catch him right now because catch you never now. know. Absolutely. Hi guys, this is Chris Slade, drummer of ACDC and many others, and you're listening to the ugly, I mean really ugly, Werewolf in London. (laughs) Now, we got a few minutes left here. Mm -hmm. Our 100th episode, what were your top, give me some top moments. I mean, the the top moments have to be the interviews that we got to do. I Mm -hmm. mean, because that, to me, that's just like, I mean, yeah, we can have a show, and that's fun, and we can you know fool around back and forth, and we can talk about oh yeah, I remember when we saw this show or listened to this record. But to actually get to talk to some of these people was just amazing. I mean, we got to talk to to Amanda Lehman, mm-hmm. we got to talk to Steve Hackett, we got to talk to both Jeff Downs and Carl Palmer from Asia, which I didn't think would ever happen. I know. I, I remember as, as soon as we started the show, I'm like. All right, we got to try to get Jeff Downs on. We, yeah. we, we got we got to try to because Asia, <laughs> for whatever reason, on paper we shouldn't like Asia, but right in practice, 
There's something about them that we just love and we can't deny. <laughs> so we love Asia. I admit it. it. Used to be a guilty pleasure. Now I'm old enough to say, you know what? I like Asia. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. screw you. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> and I started working on his PR person for a long time. And then eventually mm -hmm. the opportunity came and it had to get rescheduled, but it, it worked out great. And it, yeah, and it turns out we, we interviewed Carl Palmer the day that Alan White died. Yeah. And that's then right. yeah. four days later, whatever it was, that's when we interviewed Jeff. So one of his first interviews after the loss of Alan White, but we got to talk to him about yes in Asia. And that was huge. Unfortunately, you had to miss the Deborah Bonham. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Interview uh, with her husband, Peter Bullock, mm -hmm. uh, who you would have loved. You know, just a classic <laughs> Irishman, you know, funny, <laughs> quick-witted, you know, can did, tell a great story, you know. Didn't he say something about that he was the Irish werewolf? The, the Irish werewolf, you know, in England. <laughs> yeah, he's, we, we may cut that in. Um, but, you know, and just to get each of them to say, hey, this is Jeff Downs. Hey, this is Carl Palmer. Hey, this right. is Steve Hackett, whatever. Hey, this is Guy Pratt and Gary Kemp. And you're listening to Ugly American Werewolf. That, to me, is worth it. You know, that, to me. And, and we we record the audio on zoom, but we don't use the videos, but I've got the videos that we can mm -hmm. watch every once in a while. Like here's me and Carrie talking to Chris Slade, you know, talking about playing with Jimmy page and David Gilmore and, and ACDC yeah. that story he told about, he got the same day within a couple of hours, first a call from David Gilmore and then a call from Jimmy page saying, come play with me. That's unbelievable to me. And having Jimmy page say, Oh, you're booked. Yeah, we'll wait. No problem. Right. Just let us know. Yeah. 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 Zeppelin catalog still sells. I got no words, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To to think that to think that you know how far we've come in a hundred episodes is is crazy. I mean, this this really just started off. I don't want to say as a goof, but it started off just you know let's let's see what we can do. Let's just put this together and to be able to say that you know we, we this is our one hundredth show. And we've got to, you know, interview people. We've got to, you know, we're listening to music that we never got to, that we've never listened to before. Right. We get to talk to people that I never thought we'd talk to. It's, it's just, it's, it's incredible. And we get to go to cool places and, and mm -hmm. talk about it. You know, I got to go into Abbey Road Studios, you know, I mean, right. now I lived right off Abbey Road for years there, but you can't just walk in there, you know, mm -hmm. you've got to have a special occasion and ticket to get in. And fortunate if I, I, I was fortunate enough to do that. You think about all the music, including music by Pink Floyd that was yeah. made in there. It's unbelievable. But it's mm -hmm. also what's cool is, you know, we've, we've connected with a lot of other folks like us, people who love rock and roll and, and love the minutia and all the details about it, whether it's other podcasters like Neil from Def Let Pod or Jay from the Hook Rocks or the Shout It Out Loud guys or Christy Alexander Hallberg, you know, with Rock mm -hmm. Is Lit or just someone like Anna Stella, who, you know, is a rock journalist, you know, and, and kind of pushed her way to, to having a career in this, you know, really cool. Um, or Chris from Rock These Tweets, you know, huge Def Leppard fan, you know, it's, it's great to right. connect with these folks and talk with them on the show. And we've got some fun stuff coming up, uh, you know, here in the next few months that we can't wait to share with everybody. Yeah, just, we, you know, it, it's 100 episodes, but I kind of feel like in some ways we're just getting started here. Well, that's right. I mean, we've got over a thousand episodes, in this. <laughs> you know, because just doing if we just did records we love, that's at least 500. Right. Mm -hmm. Plus, we're going to be starting to do shows, you know, more concerts that we go to. And then obviously interviews. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of opportunity out there for that. So I'm just glad that we get to do it, Jackson, and, and that we we've, we've reconnected here. You know, we mm-hmm. we're not we were never on social media until we started the show. <laughs> we don't write letters and emails. We kind of text. That's kind of our thing. But then we get an hour every week, just about mm-hmm. to forget about all the nonsense in our lives and just do something that we like with somebody who we know shares the passion and the knowledge of rock and roll music the, the way that we each do. So that's that's pretty cool. So I got to thank you for sticking around for 100 shows with me. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And I have to thank you for really being the catalyst of this and getting us hooked up with Pantheon and and kind of being making this more of a legitimate deal and not just two people BSing around. Right. You know, I, I wanted, I kind of came up with the idea of having a podcast before I moved to London. And mm-hmm. I kind of came up with the name, Ugly American Werewolf in London. Ah, okay. Has a nice ring to it. Kind of taking two famous turns of phrase, sticking them together to make something unique. That's cool. What am I going to talk about? Uh, I walked out on the street today and they were driving <laughs> on the other side of the road. Uh, you know, how, that's not a fucking show. You know, <laughs> who cares? Oh, look, the dollar went up against the pound. I'll transfer some money over. Who gives a shit? You know, no one cares. <laughs> you know, uh, what am I going to talk about? I, I don't even know. And then when COVID hit, suddenly, we're talking more and we're talking, mm-hmm. we're giving each other homework. Like you listen to this, I'll listen to this. <laughs> yeah. and, and next week we'll get together and talk about it. And then I just kind of started to realize this is the show. This is what I've been, you're looking for something you have passion about. You look something that you have a friend, a, a cohort, a partner in crime to do mm-hmm. it with. It's a no brainer. It's like, yeah. like if someone said to me, when I was thinking about, should I do a podcast? Like, well, if you're going to do a rock music podcast, who are you do it with? Only one day is going to come up. Action Jackson. Daisy. Well, thank you. Yeah. We should have started it in our dorm room 30 years ago. Except, you know, there's no such thing as podcast then. Right. And I don't know if the Apple 2GS had the uh, capacity (laughs) to to record more than one or two shows. We'd have to get more memory after that. Well, better late than never. And here we are. This is Neil from Def Left Pod. Hey guys, this is Ryan Condal, the executive producer, writer, creator of House of the Dragon. Hi, I'm Amanda Lehman. Hey guys, this is Chris from My Rock and Roll Heaven. Hi, this is Christy Alexander Hallberg, author of the novel Searching for Jimmy Page. Hey, this is Anna Stella. Hi, I'm Deborah Bonham. And I am the Irish werewolf in England, Peter Bullock. Hey, this is Tom and Zeus from Shout It Out Loudcast. And you are listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. Hi, I'm Paul Stevenson from Vintage Rock Pod. Hi, this is Carl Palmer. Hi, this is Jeff Downs. Hi, guys. This is Chris Slade. Hi, this is Steve Hackett. This is Sonny Hollywood Pooney. Hi, this is Gary Kemp. And this is Guy Pratt. And you're listening to The Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast. <laughs> Folks, that wraps up our 100th episode of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock podcast. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you to everyone who has supported us, who has listened to us over the years, who loves rock and roll, the rock and roll music that Jackson and I love. It's meant a lot to us, all your support. We've had a lot of fun building this really from nothing, from from two guys who just love rock and roll, who lived together in college for a couple of years and uh, and have kind of reconnected as I've moved to Europe and during the COVID pandemic needed a way to, uh, to kind of forget about our worries for a while, you know, and to connect with someone who we knew had a, a deep, meaningful, 
connection to rock and roll. And, and that's where the Ugly American Werewolf of London Rock podcast came out of. And now almost two years and 100 episodes later, we're still going. And I got to say, going strong. I mean, doing better episodes, improving our sound quality, hopefully, getting incredible guests on, whether they be musicians who we've admired all our lives or fellow podcasters who have fantastic shows and, uh, and interesting opinions. And just rock fans in general doing this show probably means more to us than it should, but we really appreciate everyone out there who's listening. We appreciate all of our guests. Uh, we appreciate Pantheon Podcasts, uh, the family of podcasts that we are proud to be a part of. We are proud to represent EIL.com or RareVinyl.com, our sponsors, where you can still get 10% off all your orders by using our code PODCAST, and they will ship all the way around the world to you. Just means a lot to us. And being part of Nick Mason's Saucer Full of Secrets U.S. tour, the Echoes tour in 2022, was special for us. Love Pink Floyd growing up. They were very important to us, not only as teenagers, but in our 20s, seeing them live, and then going to the show to represent Pantheon uh, and to get to know some other rock fans. Just icing on the cake, really is. Being able to talk to Guy Pratt and Gary Kemp on our show was so much fun. And look, we could have talked to them for four hours if they had the time. But they were very generous of spirit, generous of time. We appreciate that. And listen, by the time you hear this, there aren't going to be many dates left on the Nick Mason Saucer Full of Secrets Tour. But if you have the chance, whether you're in Oakland or Seattle or Vancouver or maybe L.A., definitely go see them. Don't miss it. it it's a fantastic show. It's a lot of fun. If you like Pink Floyd at all, especially the early stuff, you're going to love this show. And I hope you like that little bit at the end where we kind of featured all of our guests, at least for the most part, giving a little snippet of, hey, you know, this is Steve Hackett. Hey, this is Jeff Downs. Just so proud to be able to talk to some of those folks. And some of the feedback we've gotten from them and their reps uh, is that we get it. You know, we're not just journalist wonks who want to ask gotcha questions or ask the same dumb stuff over and over. We might actually have an interesting take on it, but a positive take. We are fans of these folks. We are fans of rock and roll. doesn't mean we won't hold their feet to the fire or let them know when they do something we don't love, but we're trying to preserve this rock and roll that we love so much and get as many firsthand stories from the people who made it as possible you know, and spread the word on the stuff that we love. We know not everybody likes what we like. It's been that way our whole lives. Think about being in college when everybody's listening to Nirvana and you hate Nirvana, but you insist that people listen to a 20-year-old Rolling Stones album instead. How do you think that went over? Well, I didn't like grunge, didn't like it at all. Maybe Alice in Chains, maybe a little Soundgarden, but that's about it. The rest of them didn't like them then, don't like them now. I know what I like, and I'm happy to spread the word on it and talk to the folks who not only also love it, but the folks who made it. And hopefully that's what our show is and will continue to be for the next 100 episodes and beyond. So as usual, folks, you gotta let us know. Do we get something right? Do we get something wrong? Did we miss the point? Did we leave out your favorite part? You let us know. You email us, uglyamericanwerewolf at gmail.com. You can also tweet us at ugly underscore werewolf or at actionjack72. Find us on YouTube. Find us on Instagram. Subscribe and download wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and know that uh, we've got a lot of great guests coming up in the future. Uh, I think next week we're going to have another one, maybe someone who you don't know that well, but it's someone we'll be excited to introduce you to. So thanks again to everyone out there who has listened, over 100 countries around the world, tens of thousands of downloads, hundreds of thousands of streams. 
We really appreciate your support. We want to know what you like. We want to know what you'd be interested in hearing us talk about, whether it's an album or a band or a concert, DVD, a book, whatever it is. Please let us know. And to all of you rock and rollers all around the world, be cool and stay safe. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.